So this morning, I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 20. It's going to be the uh, Ten Commandments here. And something I want you to think about for a minute. I mean, I think most of us have probably read Psalms, at least a couple of them. And as you read them, they will start out with, depending on who the psalmist is, they'll start out with, Oh God, You are God. Oh Lord, bless my heart, oh my God, oh my Lord. The psalmist, if you look at this in the way, and if, and now these start, these chapters start obviously in a way that we have broken them up. They originally, in the way they were wrote, were not broke up in chapter and verses. So it will start with these declarations of who God is based on one, how we break them up, and then two, if you look at when the author changes the topic or changes, shifts gears there a little bit, they always acknowledge the greatness of God, who He is. That's one of the neat things about the Psalms. You know, most of them, I don't mind, most of them wrote by David. Quite a few were wrote by, I believe, uh, other kings. I'm not sure who wrote them all. But it's, it's neat to, to read through those and see the author of each one celebrating who God is, how great God is. And the thing to understand here is, is that they knew where God's place was at. They knew that God was God of everything. He is the creator. He created the universe, all that's in it, all that ever was, all that ever will be. He created you and I. And they understood this. And then they understood their place before God. So they understood God was here and they're here. It's not about them. It's about God and God's will. And so when you read the Psalms, you really see that. And so I'd ask you a question this morning. Do we know our place before God? How do we approach God? When we pray, uh, when we live how we live our lives? Do we put God in the rightful spot in our lives and in our minds that He deserves to be in? Do we even recognize that He is God? James 2.19 says, even the demons know and they shudder. Do we shudder when we think about who God is? who we are to God? Does that cause you to have pause? Does it cause you to reflect on who you are compared to God? Who God really is? And so you got to ask yourself, well, if I'm going to put God in His rightful place in my life, how do I do that? How do I go about doing that? When you look at Scripture, and you read through about the patriarchs of faith, Moses, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, you know, these men, what, what did they do? They were in constant communion with God. Was it uh, Daniel in chapter 6, verse 5? They are, his enemies are trying to trap him. They want to, they you know, they're kind of jealous of him. But they can't find any reason to trap him. They can't find anything against him to use against him. 
And they say in, in verse 5 there, they say that the only thing that they can use against Daniel is his connection to the law of his God. Are we, are we that dedicated to God? Do we have God in that place in our lives that the one thing that people can hold against us is our relationship to God? And in, again, in chapter 6 there in Daniel, verse 10, it says, he was faithful in prayer. So he was always praying. And we read through there, it talks about he, he never ceased to pray morning, midday, and evening. Always. You know, and he obviously he studied the scrolls. We call them scriptures today. He studied the scrolls and the writings because it was him that figured out when Israel's exile was to be ended. So it shows you that Daniel was in constant communion with God. And he was a brilliant man, great man. Even the king thought he was. But Daniel understood that his wisdom came from one place. It came from God. And so throughout Daniel's life, he kept God in his rightful place in his life and in his mind. So in, in doing this and to keep God in his rightful place, God gave 10 laws, just 10, 10 laws for us to live by, for all mankind to live by. The first four of those laws, we know them as the Ten Commandments, pertain between our relationship between us and God. The other six is our relationship to each other. For us to get it right between us, we've got to first get it right between us and God. Because if we don't get it right between us and God to start with, then we're not going to do anything else right. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, it starts off with the first four, then those first four are about us and God. So in Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to start verse 3. It says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Number three, be verse seven. You shall not... Take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and He made it holy. So when we look at those commandments, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of straightforward what God is saying there. He is saying, 
I am above everything else in your life. I am God. How did he answer Moses when Moses said, who are you? He says, I am. I am that I am. I am God. He's putting that into, trying to put that in our minds in these first four commandments. And the thing is, is again, it's a relational thing. It's all about our relationship to God, with God. And Jesus emphasizes this in Matthew 22, 37 through 38, when the Pharisees are questioning him, and he's asking him, he says, what's the greatest commandment? Then Jesus answers them in uh, verse 37, he says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And if we'll get this right, we can start working on the other six. But we can't work on the other six until we get the first four right. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we don't have God in our lives, well, we're not going to do anything that's honorable to Him. We're not going to do anything honorable to, with each other. Any good that you have ever done or ever will do has come from God, whether you are living for Him or not, whether you want to admit to it or not. Any good that we are able to do is strictly because God allowed us to do it. We are who God allows us to be. So in the first two of these commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall, make, you shall not make for yourself any carved images or worship them. It's meaning we're to have nothing. To put that in the context for today. We are to have nothing in our lives that takes place of God. <laughs> nothing that we put over God Nothing that stands between us and God. Anything that, I mean, I don't see people running around today going up to some stick out in town square and getting on their knees and worship it. Anybody seeing that going on? There's no rock in the town square we're getting down and worshiping. Well, they, you know, we may not physically go someplace where you've got something that man carved out and we're going to call that a God and worship it. But an idol or a God can be anything that's in your life, anything that you put before God, that you put in between you and Him. It could be your family, be your job, it could be your hobbies, it could be, you pick, you know, pick what it might be. As soon as we start letting those things get in between us and God, we've created an idol. And we've created, and once you've created an idol, you've created a false God. And now you're worshiping it. If that has to take precedence over you worshiping God, you've made it a God. In Isaiah 42.8, God says, I am the Lord God, that is my name, and my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. See, 
What did, what did God say here a minute ago? He says, I am a jealous God. So if you're creating false gods and you're creating idols in your life, God will not share his glory with them. And he will not hold you guiltless. There's a price that will be paid for that. We'll see that in a bit. And the thing about God's Word, spending time with Him, learning to put Him first, there's only one way you're going to learn to do that. Right here. He gave us His Word. You've got to be in it daily. If you're not here daily, you're not hearing from Him daily. And if you're not hearing from Him daily, you're not going to make Him first. I know from personal experience that... I try to end my day in the Word. I try to start my day in the Word when I get up in the morning. I try to make time midday. I'm not saying I get it right every day. I do mess it up. But I have found that if I will stick to that, it doesn't mean bad things don't happen. But what it does is it seems like I handle those bad things a heck of a lot better than I do when I'm not here trying to hear from Him. And God promises you, He says, you know, those that draw near Him, He will draw nigh to them too. He's there waiting for us to do it. His Word should be the number one thing that we think of. You know, most of us, what we think about, we think about our jobs, you know, we think about our families, and we think about our hobbies. It shouldn't be that way. We should be constantly thinking about His Word. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a fontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The meaning there is you should God's word should constantly be in the front of your mind. You know, it's a, it's a sad day when a group of believers can get together to you know to have dinner or talk or whatnot. And God's Word never gets brought up. That should never happen. If you have a group of believers, and when I say group, that's two or more, they get together to share whatever they're sharing. I don't care if they're going fishing together or if we're going to sit down to a meal or we're just talking. If we're spending much time together at all, God's Word should be brought into that gathering. Do we do that? Do we do that every single time? I don't. I wished I did. I wished I was better about it. I'm trying. I'm working on it. I'm getting better. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you'll have good success. So, don't think you're going to Garner God's uh, blessing 
If you're not seeking Him, if you're not living for God, if you're not keeping God in His rightful place in your life and in your mind, it's not going to work real well to seek His blessing. And you know, trust me, I know from experience, it's really easy to come, you know, come home from work. It is super easy to come up with other things to do. You know, like nothing. Like sit in a chair and do nothing. That's easy to come up with. Pull your phone out and start playing. You know, go into this mindless place. Well, what if we spent some of that time in God's Word? Or how about sitting in front of the TV for hours on end? You know, again, how many people have made the television the God of their life? What if we took some of the time spent there and we took it and put it in the Word? What if we sat with our family, turned TV off and sat with our families, brought them together and we said, hey, we're going to start reading a chapter every evening and then we're going to talk about it. Even if it's only for a half an hour or 15 minutes, you know, find a spot to start. It doesn't mean you got to do it for hours and hours. It'll take care of itself once you start. If you'll be, if you will be diligent about doing it, it will take care of itself and you will do it more and more. Because you're going to find out that if you don't do it, you miss it. I mean, have you ever wondered why you get so overwhelmed sometimes? And it's easy to do. It's easy to dwell on bad things that are going on. And it just seems like it just takes us over. You know, well, have I prayed about it? I'm, I'm really good at trying to do things on my own. I don't need nobody's help until I need their help. <laughs> and it's God that I need. So when you're, you know, when that's happening to yourself, stop, stop for a second and ask yourself, have I prayed about it? Now, when's the last time I seriously sat down on a regular basis and spent time in God's Word? Turn to Haggai chapter 1, and I don't know if I said that right or not. Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. So verse 1 says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about that. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into, ba into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called out, and I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So how's the house of God in your life? Are we building it? Or are we spending more time doing what we want to do? I like to fish. I like to hunt. I like to do anything that I want to do. It doesn't work real well if I do it ignoring God. Because then I find that it just seems like when I start putting those things first, my life will start suffering. It just seems like more and more things start coming at me. You know, uh, and I don't know if that actually is more things coming at me, but I can tell you right now, I deal with them horribly. <laughs> you know, so how is God's house in your life? Are you building it and are you taking care of it? So think about that as you're struggling. All right, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. How many of us have ever used God's name in a blasphemous way? It seems to be the number one cuss word, or at least a close second to another one. You hear it all the time, you hear it daily. Or, how many of us have used it carelessly? Maybe as an uh, exclamation. Oh my God! How many of us have done that? Is that a wise and prudent way of calling on the name of God? Probably not. And he says in that commandment, he who does this will not be healed Guiltless. He'll hold them guilty. And say, ah, oh, it's just words. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it does. It means a lot. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Think about it. how many times have I opened my mouth and said stupid stuff. I'm really good at that. I don't mean anything bad by it. I think maybe I think I'm being funny. And other people are like, uh, Joe, hey, we need to talk for a minute. You know, it's easy to do. It's real easy to do. What about your actions? What does your actions say about the God you claim you serve? The way you live your life? 
Do your actions blasphemy God? Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. We'll start in verse 22. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. So, let's put that into today. Gentile being a non-believer. Let's use that context. And you being a believer or claiming to be a believer. What does your actions say to... What does your actions, my actions as a believer say about our God to those who are not believers? Does it make them want to learn about this God that we serve? Or are we blaspheming Him? Are we mocking Him? Are we giving them reason to mock Him? Guilty. I'm, I'm, I've done it. I know I have. You know? Uh, get mad easy, lash out, say things you later wish you hadn't have said. Or you're out having fun with the guys. Maybe you start to go along with them in some things you shouldn't. You know, it's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to get trapped. But when you do that, what does those actions say to those around you about the God you claim you serve? You're blaspheming. I forget, I think it might have been J. Vernon McGee, but I can't remember which old pastor said it. But he was talking about talking about um, this kind of this topic here. And it's like, if you're going to claim you're a Christian and you're going to live your life in such a way that it blasphemes God's name, the people, you need to keep your mouth shut and not tell anyone you're a Christian. That should come across like a slap in the face. I think it was J. J. Vernon McGee, but don't quote me on that. I forget which one it was. You know, and he says, I'm going to hold you guilty. I'm going to hold, hold you guilty for this. And to reiterate this and to show you the severity of this, I want you to think about King David for a minute. King David is the only man in Scripture that God said He is a man after mine own heart. Imagine, imagine God saying that about you or me. However, we all know King David had some faults. And he had an adulterous affair. Now, this adulterous affair, he also committed murder when he killed, had Uriah killed. And then we know that a child was born. God forgave David for what he did, but there was a horrible price that was paid. The child died. And David prayed and prayed and prayed, but the child died. Because God is not going to reward your actions that blaspheme his name. 
Now we know God forgave him. Look how mightily God used David even after this. And we know that God forgave him. But God also punished him and he punished him severely. So remember that. You know, that if, if God would punish the man that he says was a man after mine own heart, um, I, better, I better behave because he's going to punish me. If he'll punish David, he's going to punish me. All right, and the last one. It says, this is in verse 8 of Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do we do that? Do we do that? Some of us work, and you can't be in church on Sunday. There are denominations that worship on Saturday. So maybe you're of that denomination and you work and you can't be there on that Saturday. But my question to you is, out of the day, out of this, your week, do you take a day aside and set it aside for God? Do you do that? Do you have a Sabbath that you keep for God? There's another one. It's real easy to come up with excuses not to do. Israel went into captivity, went into exile. Because from the time of David till the time of the exile, they never kept the Sabbath year. And why? Why did they not do that? Well, it didn't make sense to leave all those fields out there not working for a year. They'd be making money off of that. It was, a, you know, it was an economic reasons. That's why they did it. They did it to get ahead. Uh, it makes more money. Got to get further in life. I got to, you know, better myself. How many people, you know, rather than setting a day aside for the Sabbath, well, you know, if I work that day of overtime, I'm going to get more out of it. I'm going to, you know, if I keep doing that, you know, I'll get a little bit further. I can get that fancy car. I can buy that brand new shotgun. <laughs> well, you might. It might work out that way. But you're going to pay for it. I promise you, you're going to pay for it. And it's in ways you wouldn't think of. First of all, if you don't take... Scripture tells us the Sabbath was meant for man, not God. God's God. He doesn't need a rest. We do. We're not God. And we're way more frailer than He is. We need that day of rest. Not just physically, but mentally. We need that day of rest. God did that for us. So you're going to suffer if you, if you do it, if you continue to ignore the Lord's day, you, you'll suffer for it. You're going to suffer for it mentally and physically. Some of us will miss Sundays because, hey, you know what? I want to go fishing. Guilty. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you, you took a Sunday and went fishing or you took a Sunday and you went with the family. You went with the family and did a family day or something like that. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those that habitually are not 
observing the Sabbath. They are not in church. They are not putting a day aside for God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Scripture's talking about. And those people, again, they're going to pay for that too in ways that they won't think of. Because if you're constantly on the go, whether you think it's pleasure or it's work, if you don't take a time out to rest, your body's going to pay for it. You've got to keep working. But there's another way you're going to pay for it. Look at the divorce rate in the United States. It's horrible. Look at the amount of children in the last two generations. Might have had a mom and dad, but for all purposes, they grew up without parents. They set their own rules. They did their own thing. And then look where we are today. Look where we are today as a culture, as a society, you know, everything about what we see going on around us. Because people are putting things, not only do they put things above the Sabbath in recognizing God, they put things, when they do that, they tend to put things above their families as well. And these children, they suffer for it. So this is going to tie back into the first two commandments of creating false gods and false idols. Because again, one of the number one reasons for people to not go to church is economic. Oh, if I just made a few more dollars. Well, guess what you're doing? You're worshiping the god Moloch. One of his things, of many, was he was the god of prosperity. Now, let's talk about that for a second. There was a horrible practice of worship for Moloch. See, if you sacrificed your child to him, he'd bless your endeavors. So one of the ways they'd do this, the statue have a big belly with his arms out like this. They'd get a big fire going in that belly until them arms turned red. They'd take that infant child and they'd set that child in those arms and let it burn up and drop down into the belly. We don't do that today, do we? Well, we burn them up with saline solution and we rip them out of the womb and cut their spinal cords. It's called abortion. Now, what's one of the num- what is the number one reason for abortion? Economic. So guess what God you're worshiping? Guess what idol you created in your life? So let's talk about something maybe a little bit more pleasant. Pleasure. So I want to have a good time, you know? I want to go out and do things I enjoy. Well, there's some gods there too. Greek mythology had the god Dionysus. He was the god of winemaking and having a good time. Romans, who copied everything the Greeks had, had the god Bacchus, who was basically a copy of Dionysus. The god of partying and having a good time and pleasure. Sensual pleasure, just a lot of debauchery. So when you start putting your pleasure above God, the things you like doing, well, guess what? You're worshiping another God, lowercase g. You have created an idol in your life.
Anytime you come up with an excuse not to worship God, not to go to church, not to be in his word, you are placing an idol in your life, a false God. You're worshiping a false God when you do it. Period. And it's a traps that are easy to get caught up in. It's easy. I mean, I, trust me, I can be real lazy. You know, if you were to leave me to my own Sunday morning, I'd get up, have a cup of coffee, and might just stay in my chair. You know, heck, let's kick on a football game or whatever. I can get real lazy. My wife will probably tell you that. But think about that when we do this. When we do these things, we are creating false gods in our lives. We've created idols. In the first two commandments, say, thou shalt not. The most important thing we can ever get right here on this planet is our relationship to God. And so dwelling on those first four commandments is where it's going to start. Getting yourself right with God. Put, and what I mean by that is putting God in the rightful place in your life where He deserves to be. He should be supreme over everything that we do, everything we say, everything about us, even over our family. Because how can He be the God of your family if you don't make Him the God of your family? If I'm not willing to put Him above my family, how can He be the God for my family? How are my kids? What are my kids going to think? How are they going to think of God? And those are the things that we need to be keeping about because we inadvertently could be teaching our children to worship false gods. Now in the last, I don't know, quite a few years anyway, on the first Sunday of the new year, usually there's some kind of a challenge that has been given. You know, a lot, usually it, it had to do with reading the entire Bible in a year. Well, I'll give you a challenge for this year. Put God first. Whatever it takes in your life to do it, whatever changes you have to make, make God first in your life. For me, one of the things I did, it may sound silly, but I quit hunting on, week, on Sundays. I did that quite a few years ago. Quit hunting on Sundays. I wasn't... Smart enough to come up with that idea. I got that from my dad. <laughs> but it's something he said to me that he started doing years ago. And it stuck, you know, that, yeah, because who am I putting first when I do that? So I'll leave you again Let's to reread part of Haggai there. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5, or 5 and 6. He says, now... Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag of holes. You know, if we're trying to get God's blessing... We need to do, as my dad said to me once several years ago, son, have you ever thought about living for him? We need to do that. We need to make God first in our lives.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you again for this time. And Father, I pray that you would work with each and every person that hears this, that they, Lord, would look at this new year that we are going into and place you first, make you first in everything they do, everything they think about. Father, this country is in trouble, Lord, and we need you. And the only way that we can ever start to try to correct things is to make you first in our lives before we can ever start looking at things on a bigger scale, whether it's our community, our county, our state, our, our country, Lord. It has to start at home and it has to start individually. So Father, I just pray that you would convict everyone, Lord, to make you first in their lives. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.